in reality, the worst investment ever related to taxes is not taking the time to properly plan and minimize your tax obligation. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Bobby Casey. Bobby, are you ready to rock? Hey, Andrew, I am absolutely ready to rock. Oh, yeah. Let me introduce you to the audience. Bobby Casey is managing partner of Global Wealth Protection. The company helps clients from around the world internationalize their assets and take advantage of unique investment opportunities globally. Bobby is a lifelong entrepreneur, investor, and student of life. He's a believer in privacy and freedom and fights this fight through words and actions around the world. As a renowned speaker on anarchy, capitalism, free market, economics, and offshore business travels the globe, working with like-minded clients, helping them properly structure their businesses and their lives to minimize risk and maximize rewards. He holds two undergraduate degrees, a bachelor's in science in finance with a minor in economics and a bachelor's in science in international business with a minor in Russian. And he also holds a master's in entrepreneurship from MIT. Bobby, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me on today, by the way, too. So on the anarcho-capitalism thing, I like to say I'm a philosophical anarchist, but practically speaking, I'm a, let's say, a libertarian because in my worldview, government itself would be eviscerated, but I'm also not high-minded to think that that's a practical solution. So I do understand we do have to continue to live in this world until if and when that ever takes place. So Practically speaking, I'm libertarian-minded. I'm a huge believer in the free market. I think the free market solves most, if not all, of our problems the world has. Capitalism is the greatest invention in human history. So, And I'm a big believer in capitalism and the free market. And I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs and any type of producer, whether it's a artist, writer, entrepreneur, I'm passionate about helping these people keep as much of their wealth as humanly possible. So, amen. Um, <laughs> so, as far as, well, and you know, you say amen, and you're right. And the reason I believe that is because, as producers, I mean, whether you're an author, you're a musician, a performer, an athlete, maybe an entrepreneur, your productivity is what drives the economy. It's not some political process. It's not some politician sitting, sitting in, a, in an office behind a big mahogany desk signing papers. It's you out there hustling, making things happen, you know, creating products and services for people that are interested in buying them and improving their lives, performing music or writing books that entertain and educate people. You're the ones out there making, making things happen. And I believe as a capitalist, as a passionate free market advocate, that you're the one that needs to continue to hold on to this wealth as, as much as possible because your mind is what drives the world forward. I mean, capitalism really has been a huge improvement in society. You know, you can, you can listen yeah. to the rhetoric on CNN or Fox News and believe otherwise, but the numbers don't lie. Yeah, numbers don't lie. 
So yep. as right. far as me, just a little background about me. I'm an expat, you know, like you, Andrew, I've lived abroad about a decade or so now. I've traveled to probably 80 countries around the world. I've lived in half a dozen or so, and I'm traveling a lot still. I mean, I'll be speaking, actually, I'm speaking at and hosting a conference next week. So we do conference once or twice a year, actually on entrepreneurship. So I'm going to be in Arizona for that conference just next week. And then I'm going to be, I think like a week after I get back, I'm going to Seychelles for actually a wedding and some business. Mm. So I'm, I'm always on the move. So Okay, great. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Actually, I'm going to give you two. I know I'm cheating on your rules here, but I'm going to give you two. I'll make one short and sweet though. My worst investment ever is probably the same worst investment that every single person listening to the show has ever made. And that's taxes. <laughs> and I say that in a joking sense, but what I really mean by that is you don't think about taxes as being a bad investment per se, because you think it's something you just must pay and you, you don't really go through the process of thinking through it. But the first time you end up writing a six figure check for taxes, you start thinking, wait a second, I may have been able to do something better with that money than, than pay taxes. So in reality, the worst investment ever related to taxes is not taking the time to properly plan and minimize your tax obligation. Now, I say that from a libertarian mindset because my view is ultimately taxation is theft. I also prefer not to spend my days in a two-by-two meter box in an orange jumpsuit. So it's also nice to make sure we do things in the proper way. So in the world we do live in, we're abiding by the rules and regulations. So there are a lot of things that people can do to minimize taxes. The worst thing you can do is not take the time to minimize your tax obligation because every five or 10 or $50,000 you pay in tax takes away from your own productivity. Okay. Got so it. that's my soapbox rant on the worst investment ever because I've seen so many people, they don't even think about it. They just say, yeah, well, I paid $80,000 a year last year in taxes. It's the cost of my success. Well, yes, but you could have reinvested, you know, 40 or 50 or $80,000 of that into something significantly better too if you would have taken the necessary steps. So with my worst investment ever, more along the lines of what your show is talking about. Years ago, I used to host offshore investment conferences, primarily in the Caribbean. We did them in Panama and St. Martin. We did them in Panama, St. Martin, and Belize. For several years, we did two conferences a year. And around that time, leading into that, we started doing these investment conferences because we had a lot of connections in the space of private investment opportunities. And these are different private investments. I don't want to go into detail on all the different things we had, but these were personal connections of mine that had some private investments that they were promoting. And so we hosted these conferences to educate people on some alternative investment solutions other than just uh, building a stock and bond portfolio. And so during that time, I got to know a lot of people in this space that were offering different private investment options. And I really became enamored with a guy. And I actually don't want to mention the company name because 
there's still some people connected to that situation that I don't want to bring up. But I became pretty enamored with this guy. He was a workhorse. I mean, he was killing it. The guy was really, really making stuff happen in this business. And he was on the circuit giving presentations, raising money for his company. And at the time, it was a private company. And he was selling preferred shares of his company. And I went in and I bought, I don't remember at the time. I mean, for me, it was quite a lot of money at the time. I think I bought about $100,000 worth of shares. So, I mean, depending on your scale, 100000 for me at the time was quite a bit. For some people, you might think, well, I spend that on a weekend, right? Other people, it might be a, a huge sum of money. So it depends on your scale, but scale doesn't really matter. It's relevant to you. So I spent about, I say I spent, because in the end, I spent. <laughs> but, but at the time, I thought I invested a hundred grand in this guy, okay? We'll call the guy Rick, okay, just so I can stick a name on it. So I invested a hundred grand in Rick's company in private shares, private preferred shares. And I mean, the guy was doing press releases constantly. Press releases, we picked up a new. $10 million client. We picked up a new $5 million client. You know, we're growing the business. We're going to be up 300% this year. And I thought, man, this is amazing. Well, at one point he ended up getting approved to take the company public on NASDAQ. He actually got invited to ring the bell on NASDAQ. I mean, I watched the TV when Rick was standing, you know, at the table in NASDAQ you know, and he, he rang the opening bell one day on the day that their stock was listed. And I thought, this is amazing. I am going to make a killing on this stock. I was absolutely like, I mean, I was completely enamored with Rick. This guy was 16 hours a day. He was bringing in five and $10 million clients nonstop. Okay. He ended up hiring a friend of mine and this was probably my biggest regret, actually. But he ended up hiring a friend of mine because I introduced the two of them. And then Rick clearly enamored this guy also because this friend of mine decided to go work for Rick. And fast forward to the end, it was a complete scam. Top to bottom, complete and total scam. It was a pump and dump scam. The guy actually was raising money. He was speaking at conferences all over the place, raising money, selling preferred shares. In order to raise the stock price, he sold all these preferred shares, raised millions and millions of dollars selling all these preferred shares. He was doing all these BS press releases that he had all this new business. He did have a business, but not even remotely close to what he claimed it was because he actually like would go out on site to a job and do video and take pictures. And it was a real job, but the problem is that might've been the only job they had for a couple of months. Right. And he ended up getting arrested at an airport. It was an SEC investigation for a pump and dump scheme for a fraudulent pump and dump scheme. Turned out he was taking the money from the company funneling it through an offshore company in Belize, actually multiple offshore companies in Belize, and the Belizean companies were then 
had brokerage accounts with very tiny brokerage firms in the U.S. that were buying up all the shares with it to blow the price up. And he was just circling the money, okay? But by doing that, if the share price was like 10 bucks, he would take all the money he raised. Let's say he spoke at a conference and raised 5 million bucks, for example, in a period of time. He would take that money, funnel it through the Belize company, multiple Belize companies, would then go and buy $5 million worth of stock, which blew the price up. He was also paying some, quote, analysts to uh, write these glorious, rosy analyst reports on the company. And, I mean, the stock shot up. It would go from 10 to 15 to 20, you know. And then he would turn around through his private shares and sell them through the Belize company. I mean, it was the craziest thing ever. I can't believe NASDAQ actually listed this company without enough due diligence to realize this. But ultimately, it was, once the curtain fell, it was ridiculously plain to see that it was a pump and dump start to finish. And the friend of mine that actually worked for Rick ended up getting named in the SEC charges And he actually went to prison for about six months because he was a, quote, public figure. He had no knowledge of the situation, but because he was a public figure, he ended up going to prison for about six months. And literally the judge in the courtroom said, basically, we're putting you in jail for six months as kind of to set the example. I mean, in so many words, he said, we're setting an example out of you by putting you in jail because he was a public figure. So tell me, what lessons did you learn from this? Well, first of all, don't take anybody at their word on an investment. If you're investing in a project, like especially if you're investing in a non-traditional type asset, let's say somebody pitches you a great deal for, let's say, a condo project in Panama, for example. Don't look at a smooth-talking salesman and a really great PowerPoint and and give them a $50,000 deposit. Go to Panama. My God, it's a plane ticket to go to Panama. It's not that big of a country. Go look at where they're putting shovels in the ground. See if they're actually building something. See, do a little bit of homework, you know. You could spend a thousand bucks on a plane ticket and have a long weekend out of it just to do a little bit of homework. Don't trust these empty promises. Anytime somebody is on a, this is also, you know, a lesson I learned. Anytime somebody's on a speaking circuit, raising money for a private investment, I'm not saying they're all bad, but I would be extra cautious if you attended an investment conference and you heard someone giving a presentation, raising money on a private investment. I would just be extra cautious. I'm not saying they're all bad, but there is a good percentage of those whether, whether the, the project is a complete scam or just poorly executed, the result's the same. You're still going to lose your money if it's a poorly executed project or a scam. Either way, the result, you'll be more pissed off, I guess, if it's a mm-hmm. scam. But either way, you still lose your money. So do a lot of due diligence on any of those. And then the more control you have over your investment portfolio, the more comfortable you're going to feel with it. So ultimately for me, what I found is I have a certain comfort level that works for me. And every time I've got outside of my own personal comfort level with investments, that's when it goes poorly. I mean, 
If I look back, and I actually been investing for a long, I'm 44 years old. I opened my first brokerage account when I was 14. I actually started investing. My, I had a business law teacher when I was in high school, and she couldn't believe that I was like, I had a stock portfolio when I was 14. But so I've been investing, you know, for 30 years, right? And every single time from when I was 14 until today, I could, without fail, every time I started making investment decisions that was outside of my area of expertise and my comfort zone, they never go well, ever. So I guess most importantly, know yourself. And if you're going to venture out, do a ridiculous amount of due diligence before you throw your money down. If you're not, like, for example, if you, if you have this project in Panama and it's $50,000 to invest in, if $50,000 is a significant money, amount of money to you, this is absolutely not what you should be doing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll go through a couple of quick things. The first sure. one is, of all the most common mistakes, this is mistake number five, which is misplaced trust. And it's also mistake number two, which is failed to do, failed to properly or completely assess the risk. And I think the, the lesson that I take away from it is, like I always say, as an analyst, I always say, start with this, believe no one. And yep. try to make sure that people are proving it and that you can get proof. But even also is important in situations like this is getting somebody whose interest is yours, that you're, that's representing you. For instance, if you're going to sign a contract in Panama, somehow find a lawyer there that, that can understand what's going on and can hopefully keep you out of a scam. But don't be afraid to ask for advice. And usually people don't ask for advice until it's too late because they get so excited about the potential return. So those are some of the things I would take away from it. Anything you'd add to that? Yeah, and I didn't mean to be picking on Panama. Actually, I like Panama. It's a good place. I've spent a lot of time there. And there are some great investment opportunities there. But your point is correct. If you're going to invest in something, especially a non-traditional asset, get some advice from somebody, be it a lawyer, an investment professional, but somebody who is very knowledgeable about this asset class or this geography. Like, for example, a real estate investment in Panama. Get a local lawyer who specializes in real estate who understands the process because if you are, let's say, a Canadian or an American or a German or whatever, you're probably not intimately familiar with the investment climate in Panama. You may not understand property rights in Panama. You may not understand how deeds work. Like I have a friend of mine who bought a condo in Panama a few years ago. He lives in it now. Everything worked out. But he bought this condo and didn't realize that he was not actually taking ownership. The deed wasn't being transferred to him. He was basically buying a very long-term lease, like a life lease on it. And you can have private ownership of property in Panama, but this particular deal was not that. And he just didn't do due diligence. He was yep. being a cheapskate and didn't want to spend, you know, 500 or a thousand bucks on a lawyer to make sure everything was being done properly. He ends up buying this condo. I think it's a 20 year or maybe a 50 year lease. I can't remember. 
And he thought the place was going to be completely built out and finished. And he shows up to take delivery of the property. Number one, he can't get the deed. And number two, it was a white finish. It didn't even have floors or cabinets in there. Right. So, you know, if you don't take the time to find, if you're going outside of your norm, you better, you better find somebody who is an expert either in the geography or the asset category or at least this investment space. Don't be a cheapskate. Got it. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Oh, that's a tough question because I got a lot going on in a couple of different businesses, but my number one goal in the next 12 months, let's see. Business-wise, I am building out a crypto mine as we speak. Actually, we actually have built it out. So we're actually mining successfully right now. We're in a situation where we have a ridiculously low power cost, which is the biggest input to crypto mining. And the interesting thing, if everyone's following crypto right now is freaked out, right? Because the market is tanked. Everyone is thinks... You know, it's not everyone. A lot of people think it's dead. A lot of miners have pulled out of the market because in a lot of places, if you're paying anything over about seven or eight cents per kilowatt hour, you're break even or losing money. So if you're not in a situation with very cheap power, you may not be making money. So we're in a very good situation with very cheap power. So my number one goal in the next 12 months in business is to build that out to maximum capacity. And because we have ridiculously cheap power. So even though it's not super profitable at the moment, just like any market, you know, I do believe crypto prices will come back. Whether it comes back this week or three years from now, I don't know. I'm, I'm not investing in this. I'm a big believer in blockchain technology and in crypto in general. So I'm not investing for the next two, three, six months. So Got it. We're just in a place where we can stay mining when a lot of people can't. All right. And the audience can't see it, but right now he's got a mining hat on with one of those lights on the top of it. He's just <laughs> coming down, just coming back from the mine. Oh, That's right. sorry for this, for us older listeners, like we think of mines as physical things, but here we have crypto mine. All right. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning to find more stories like this previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Bobby, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience? The number one investment you can make is in yourself, really, your own education. And honestly, probably in my career, the most successful investment I've ever made is in people in my sphere of influence and putting myself in a position where I am spending time with people who are going places who I can benefit them and they can benefit me. I don't mean that in a transactional sense, but basically people who lift each other up is what I mean. And so the biggest investment you can make is spending time with quality people, however you make that happen for yourself. Great, great words. And also, audience, I always remember that my mother says to me when I was young, buyer beware. And if we are libertarian, that's the truth. We've got to beware for what we're buying. Government's not going to protect us or anybody else. So we learned a good lesson today. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.